Hello, this is Pastor Keeker. I am the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri. And this is the first class of a seven-week class that I'm currently teaching on God's gift, the sacrament of holy baptism. Thank you for joining us, and I invite you to the next class in person at our church on, on Sundays at 9 a.m. May the Lord be with you always. The Lord be with you. Psalm 121 is our psalm this morning. Um, what did you say? Which one? 121. And it's a wonderful psalm for All Saints Day. Uh, it's also a psalm that is used in our baptismal liturgy. Right before a baptism takes place, there's a blessing upon the child with the last verse of the psalm, which is... Um, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So it's a beautiful passage, a beautiful promise from God, and it's beautifully placed right there before the baptism for a variety of reasons, which we're going to spend the next seven weeks talking about. Um, but let's use it for our morning prayer as we jump into class today. And does anyone have any prayer requests? Um, have one already, but anyone else? Well, let's pray. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Heavenly Father, you are our keeper. You're our Lord. You are the one who protects us. Are going in and are, are going out and are coming in forever by your grace and your mercy and your power. And we give you thanks, Lord, for your Son, our Keeper, who keeps our feet from striking the stone, forget who forgives our sins, who looks upon us with the eyes of your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of baptism in which you have placed us into Christ our Lord, into the one who keeps us from all harm and danger, who rescues us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Lord, we ask that you would open our ears to hear your word and set our hearts aright, that we would believe in the gift of, your, of baptism from your Son. Lord, watch over all of your sheep who walk through the doors of your church this day, that you would give them ears to hear you, set their hearts on you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, today we're beginning a new class, um, and the class is God's Gift, the Sacrament of Holy Baptism. So 
we're going to be spending, I have seven class sessions set up for now, but we can add to them if, if we need. But we're going to have seven classes just on baptism. And um, I'm going to structure it, or I have structured it, in the same way that I structured our, our 12 weeks on the Eucharist. If you remember, um, we, we started off the first week or two um, for baptism. We're going we're gonna to start with systematic theology in the teaching of the church. Um, so buckle up, because that's today. And then next Sunday also, we're going to dive into the teaching of, of the church. And, and we're going to have a little bit of a step back today, and then next Sunday we're going to use Luther's small catechism to help establish good, solid theology. Then we're going to, to go from there to, and we'll spend a majority of our seven weeks together in the scriptures. So um, we'll be looking at Old Testament texts and New Testament texts regarding baptism, tuning our ears to what God says about baptism, what Christ says about baptism. Baptism's explicitly mentioned over 90 times in the New Testament, but if you just go with implicit mentions, we wouldn't get out of the Gospel of Matthew. So um, we're not going to look at all of them, but we're going to look at the pertinent texts on baptism. From there, I'm going to spend one class on uh, historical analysis of baptism in the church. Now, we have 2,000 years of church history regarding baptism. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to look at the very first time in the church where we see this debate arise between what will be called pedo versus credo baptism. Pedo baptism, infant baptism, and credo baptism, uh, believer's baptism. And the very first time in the church that that, that debate was had and, and who was on each side of the debate and the things that they were saying, and I think it will be actually a very fascinating class. Um, and I'm looking forward to that one, but we got some time to go before we get there. Then the last class I'll dedicate to practical matters um, and also to just catch any questions that you might have throughout the class. I definitely want to spend time addressing your questions. Um, you know, practical things about baptism, the, the font, and you might have noticed three or four years ago the Paschal candle moved mysteriously to the font. Why is that? Has anyone ever wondered why? Did you even catch that the Paschal candle moved to the font? Why is that? We'll talk about some of these things, and we'll look at um, some of the practical things that, has, that have been lost over the years, like did you know for 1,500 years at a baptism, usually it began with the pastor breathing into the nose of the baby? Whew. Why was that? Ah, uh, what does God do to Adam at the, the creation? Breathes life into the child. And, and the pastor would say, depart from him, unclean spirit, and make room for the Holy Spirit. Whew. Into the nostrils of the baby. That's how Luther baptized every child anyways, but we don't do that anymore because it would send people running for the hills, probably. I don't know. <laughs> so we'll talk about those sorts of practical things that don't make a baptism a baptism, but um, there is meaning behind it all, of course. So um, with all that said, that's kind of our path here the next seven weeks on baptism. And so I want to begin here. If you remember... When we had our 12 or 13 weeks together, I forgot how many it was, on the Eucharist, I threw a fancy Latin phrase at you. 
Lex Sarandi, Lex Credendi. And the law of prayer is the law of faith, or the law of worship is the law of faith. And, and the importance of that, that, that rightly ordered worship creates rightly ordered faith. And therefore, or warped worship creates warped faith. And, and so we, we went from there and I asked the question, well, what is worship? And we spent all class talking about that. And then I think it actually boiled over to the next week too, talking about just what is worship. Um, well, I have a similar fancy Latin phrase for you this morning. Vitae spiritualis janua. Vitae spiritualis janua. This is the teaching of the church regarding baptism. And we're talking about teaching. What does the church teach about baptism? Well, St. Gregory of Nazianzus came up with this phrase over a thousand years ago. It's faithful. Vitae spiritualis janua. Vitae is Latin for life. Spiritualis? Spirit. That's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on Yanua because I don't want to tip my hand yet. <coughs> the spiritual life. Vitae spiritualis. is the spiritual life. So the question that I want to start our class off this morning with is what is the spiritual life? Or maybe to put it in a more pointed term because I want to narrow it a little bit because spiritual life can get really... You know, we start bringing in all sorts of different religions and all these things. I, I want to focus specifically on the Christian life of the Spirit. So the question I have for you this morning is, what is a Christian? Someone who believes in Jesus and that Jesus died for our sins. Very good. Someone who believes in Jesus he died for my sin as a Christian. Good. What's a Christian? How do you know when you're talking to a Christian? Maybe they believe the same way you do. Okay. So if their faith lines up with your faith, assuming that you're a Christian, right? <laughs> then they are therefore a Christian. Okay. You would hope that you would see the Holy Spirit yeah, right? You would see fruits of the Spirit in their life. <clears throat> Joy, peace, patience, kindness. Oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. Oh, <laughs> Katrina's like, maybe I'm not. The non-believer a lot of times gives you short answers to catch up. You know, hmm. if you're starting to talk about your faith, yeah, they give you short answers, and you know they want to get away from it. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, easier to identify a Christian from a non-Christian in some areas. Um, but what, what makes the difference? All these things are good, of course. You know, when I'm, when I'm sitting with my children and we're, when we're having breakfast together, uh, I'll ask them, how do you know you're going to heaven? What's the faithful answer? What's the spiritual life of a Christian? What is a Christian? What makes you a Christian? Pastor. Yeah, Rachel. I worked at the store in a deli for 10 years, and I had 
the people come up and I witness in the deli and they say, Rachel, we know you're preaching. But I generally try to like everybody that I work with. Okay, very good. So a Christian is one who will witness, who will testify to the truth, will talk about Jesus. So uh, what makes a Christian a Christian in the spiritual life? Any other thoughts? Oh, okay, good. They're able to refrain from um, from uh, falsehood. I was talking to my children this morning at the breakfast table. I said, "So, what do we do when Jesus speaks to us? What do we do with our, what, what do we do with our ears?" And they said, "Keep them open." I said, "Yeah, we we listen." And then Addison, because she's eight and she doesn't know any better at the time, says. And when you speak to us, we listen, because you're our dad. Good answer. <laughs> Hold on to that. <laughs> Extra fruits for you. And I said, but when, when the devil speaks to us, what do we do with our ears? They did that immediately. I said, that's right. We don't listen when the, when the devil speaks. We run for the hills. Um, what is a Christian? Vitae spiritualis Janua. It's the teaching of the church. When Alyssa and I were dating in Bolivar uh, in our college days, we had been dating for a while, and her parents were coming in for the weekend, and they were going to go to their first ever Lutheran church service. Now, my wife's parents are Baptist. And so I did what any good Lutheran would do. I went over before the service and I prepared them for what they were about to encounter because I knew it was going to be completely different than what they were used to. So I bring the hymnal over and, and I just walked through with them the divine service. Like, you know, we're going to say this and this is why we're saying this and then we're going to do this and up, down, up, down. You know how it goes. And they received it, they received it all well and it was, it was good. Um, we spent 20 or 30 minutes looking at the liturgy together just so that they'd have a little bit of a, some bearings when they went into the service. But I don't know if, I don't know how it came about, but in that hymnal, Alyssa's father happened to flip to like the, one of the last pages in the hymnal. Do you know what's in the very back of your hymnal? A short order of baptism in case of an emergency. And it says that in big bold letters. In case of an emergency. Baptism. And there's a short right. <clears throat> My father-in-law sees this. Baptism in case of an emergency. And he starts to laugh. He's laughing, and he's laughing, and he's laughing, and I look at him, and he goes, why would you ever need to give a baptism in case of an emergency? I don't get it. And at that point, I realized just how far our teaching was apart from one another. 
He didn't see why you would need to give the baptism. To him, that was completely unnecessary, unheard of. It was not needed. It's not something that anyone would need. Why, why, would, that ever, why would there ever be an emergency situation where you're supposed to baptize someone? Which is so ironic to me because he's Baptist, you see. And Baptists, they'll get baptized a hundred times in their life. But right before they die, they don't see a point in it? He doesn't see, he didn't see it. And so, you know, I don't have to explain to Lutherans why it's an emergency, although I'm going to spend the next seven weeks explaining why it's, why it's the case. But you see, there's a difference in the teaching. And, and we talked about this, and you've seen this before. If I could summarize the difference in one graph... Baptism is either something God does to save you, it's his work, or it is something that you must do to show God something. Baptism is either God's gift to you, and therefore it is there for the two-day-old baby, just as much as it is there for the 98-year-old man, or if it's something that you're supposed to do, well, then you got to wait until you do it the right way or have the right reason in your head or you're able to figure it out or process it or discern it or their language, make the choice, <coughs> um, make the decision. And, and we're worlds apart because of this. Vitae Spiritualis Janua is the teaching of the church concerning baptism. <clears throat> That baptism is the door of the spiritual life. It's the door. So if you think of it, what's a door mean? I want to unpack that a little bit. Well, a door means that there's a separation between an area and then what's inside the door, and that, whatever that might be. And so... The question from the scriptures and the church is, what's on this side of the door? Darkness, sin, and death. And you're born into that. This is the doctrine of original sin. The sin of Adam and Eve, their sin spread to all mankind, and therefore all have sinned and all die. This is why a two-day-old baby dies. Well, they didn't commit any sin. They're so cute. They're born into this. The wages of sin is death. We're born into darkness, sin, and death. That is our original state coming into this world. We're born as sinners. We're born without the spiritual life. We are born running away from God, you see. We're enemies of God. We walk around with debased minds, chasing after the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of our mind, and we are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's what's on this side of the door, the wrath of God, God's wrath. What's on the other side of the door? That's right, the spiritual life which is found in God. On the other side of the door is light, 
not darkness. Forgiveness, not sin. The spiritual life of God. He draws you through and he places you in God, you see, so that when we pray, when we live, when we move and eat and have our being, we are doing it in the life of God. This is why when we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm not praying just simply to God. I am praying in God, in the spiritual life. You're on the other side. You're a new creation, a new creature. The old Adam has been drowned and put to death, and you've been raised up as a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been put into the eighth day. What's the door? What makes the difference? The teaching of the church, vitae spiritualis, yanua, baptism is the door to the spiritual life. Baptism is what separates you from darkness to light. Baptism is the door. That's the first key point of the class. And this is where the great teaching of the church rests itself. St. Gregory of Nazianzus. Oh, did I make the quote? Yes. This is his quote. No, I want to save it. I want to save it to the next point. Baptism is the door of the church. Think of it this way. Here's my, here's my terrible analogy I thought of at like 4 a.m. this morning. So cut me some slack if it falls. Because at the end of the day, all analogies fall. When your child is born and they're like two years old, as a parent, you've already got, you already know which school they're going to go to. Maybe you do. But for this analogy, you do. They're going to go to CCA, or they're going to go to Holy Rosary, they're going to go to the public school. That's where they're going. Now, are they a CCA patriot at two years old? No, they're not. They're not a student of that school until they go through that door and they sit in that classroom. And then from that moment on, guess what? Even if it's in the middle of the summer and they're out playing in the pool and, and you say, well, hey, which school are you in? They say, CCA. They are, from that moment on, a CCA student. Whether they're in the school or out of the school, whether they're through that door or out of the door, that, that is their... That is their state of being, but it's not the case until they actually go through, right? When we talk this way. Well, so it is with the Christian life. Baptism places you in the spirit of God, the spiritual life of, of a believer. It begins with baptism. And once one is baptized, you see, well, then you're in Christ. Whether you're in church or at home or driving in your car, or you're in Christ. And you're not out of Christ until you reject baptism. Until you walk out that door and say, you know what? That baptism, I rejected. Now you're not in Christ anymore. That's the door. Okay, that's key point number one. And I know you got questions. Hang on to them. Um, second key point. The life of God. And this is, uh, oh, well, first. Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3. I love this. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus? One must be born again by water and spirit, or he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, he's, he's over here. You can tell it because what does he say? 
Well, am I supposed to climb into my mother's womb again and be born a second time? <laughs> Jesus is over here, right? Of course he is. He's God. He's a spiritual life incarnate. He's like Nicodemus. You must be born again by water and the spirit from above. The wind blows and you do not know where it goes. He's speaking the spiritual life to Nicodemus. And until Nicodemus goes through that door, he's not going to get it. He's still going to be stuck in his sin, death, darkness, and the wrath of God. And Jesus is laying before him the truth, God's word. So when I ask my child in the morning, how do you know you're going to heaven? My child says, I'm baptized. And I say, good answer. I'm baptized. I am baptized. It's the state of your being. It's not I was baptized. You are. Right now, it is, it is who you are. This is your identity in Christ. You are the baptized. You are in him. Baptized into Christ. I'm baptized. This is what Luther would say when he would walk around the streets of Wittenberg. And he said, he would say, the devil would constantly attack him. Constantly fill his ears with, with doubts and worries. And Luther had a one-liner always ready to send back to Satan. He would say, I'm baptized. And Luther was known for this. A thousand times a day, he would just say, I'm baptized. You'd walk by him on the street, and he'd just be murmuring, I'm baptized, I'm baptized, I'm baptized, I'm baptized, because he had to keep saying to Satan, you can't touch me. I'm over here now. I'm baptized. Not I was, I am. It's your identity now. Now, second key point. How many times have I said that? Now we're going to it. The, the fundamental teaching of the church, gratia prima, grace first. Everything the church teaches is gratia prima. It is by grace primary, grace first, grace alone. You see, you can't go through the door. You can't do it. It's impossible for you to go through the door. No amount of good works, no amount of kindness, no amount of pilgrimages or fasting or any sort of good things you can do. It doesn't matter how holy of a life you live. You can't get through that. You can't. The only way through the door to the spiritual life is by God's grace. It's the only way. Gratia prima. It's only by God's grace, you see, that we are brought from sin, death, and darkness, and the wrath of God into his light. We are justified by God's grace alone. This is the teaching of the church. It runs through everything that we teach. Grace alone. Grace alone. We're saved by God's gift alone. It is his gift to us. Jesus says to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And this is love, not that you loved me, but that I loved you. Everything is by grace. What do we do to, for this world to even be created? 
not a thing. God comes out of the gate blessing and giving and giving and giving. He creates the world and the birds and the trees and the waters, and he, and he gives you life. What did you do to have your life? Nothing. God gives it to you as a gift. He creates you and <laughs> gives you life, and he gives you this world, and he gives you his own son, you see, because he's a God who loves to give. He's gratia prima, grace first. It's, it's his, it is the being of God himself. He, he's not a God who, who dangles over us actions that require that you have to take the first step before he moves. No. Gratia prima. God, God always moves first, and we receive, and we respond with thanksgiving to him. He's the one who breathes life into us, and then we take that life that he gave us, and, and we praise him for it. It's never the other way around. And so therefore, baptism is gratia prima. It's a gift from God. It is his work. Baptism is a gift. This is a quote from uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, and then Rachel, I'll give to you. He says this. He says, Baptism is God's most beautiful and magnificent gift. And we call it a gift. Grace, anointing, enlightenment, garment of immortality, bath of rebirth, a seal, God's most precious gift to us. It's called gift because it's conferred on those who bring nothing of their own. Grace, because it is given even to the guilty. Baptism, because your sin is buried in water. Anointing, because it is a priestly and royal as those who are anointed. It's enlightenment because it radiates God's pure light upon you, and it is clothing because it veils our shame, a bath because it washes your sins away and a seal, as it is our guard and our sign of God's lordship in our lives. I am baptized. Therefore, I live in the spiritual life, live in the life of God. I live in his light. Rachel. Okay. It's by grace, but what about the children of a lesser God? Patty's with us today. Yeah. And she's been with us for many, many years. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of there are a lot of children, and you see them at Children's Mercy mm -hmm. that are behind doors. But by grace they're saved, right? But they should be baptized according to what their parents want or let the parents sign off wrong. <laughs> Good point, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll go back to my school analogy, right? Like, parents send their kids to the school the parents want to send their kids to. What parent asks their four-year-old if they want to go to school? Or maybe you do, I don't know. What parent asks their 13-year-old if they want to go to school? <laughs> no, the parent sends them to school because that's what the child needs. Right? It's not up to the child whether they want to go to school or not. Like, the parent's going to faithful parents going to put them in school or going to make sure that their child's taken care of. Same thing with your name, your last name. What are you, like, your name's given to you by your parents. You don't have, you're not nameless until you're, like, at a certain age and then you decide I'm going to name myself or something like this. Like, no, you're an American citizen simply by being born in this country. You're a birdman because you're born to us. 
and you're going to the school. Like all these things are, are given to the child, even if the child doesn't want it. Um, if we do these things with earthly things, then why do we not do them with the spiritual? Uh, well, of course, Lutherans do, right? Lutherans bring their children immediately to God because that's what a faithful parent does. I mean, Jesus has clearly spoken, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And my child is born with sin, death, and, and the wrath of God upon my child, so I'm bringing them through the door, and, and I'm, I'm going to place them in the spiritual life of God. And then that spirit is in them. Uh, we can bank on it. And they're going to wrestle their whole life long with that spirit, um, just like we do. But they're going to wrestle because you brought them to the font. And, and Jesus claimed them as his own. So welcome to a lifelong battle uh, of, with Satan, with his arrows targeted at you. Um, the, the point of baptism is that it is God's gift to me. And this is the beauty of it, that even for those, and we'll get into this next week, the church is not unified on this teaching. Some do not see it as God's gift. They see it as man's work. But here's the beauty of it. And I'm talking about my, my wife's own experience growing up Baptist. She, she grew up in a church that did not see baptism as the door to the spiritual life or that which actually gives God's grace to you, but something which you did to dedicate your life to God. But here's the beauty of it. Even in that, it's still God's baptism. Even when you think it's your work, guess what? It's not. It was still God coming down and making you his child, even when you thought it was you doing it. Right? Why boast in the flesh, Paul says? Boasting in what you do? No, the Spirit of God is given by grace. Baptism is God's work. It is his gift. It's by grace. And so therefore, that is why we bring anyone and everyone. No one is excluded from the gift. Because it's grace. So even the guilty, even the sinner, can receive the grace. Baptism is a gift from God. It is the door into the spiritual life. The door is not your good works. Can we agree on that? You're not saved by what you do. It's not the fruits of the Spirit that get you through the door. That's on this side, right? Those who are already through the door witness about God. But your witnessing of God does not get you through the door. God will not save you because you witnessed about him. God will not save you because you are kind or joyful or peaceful or any sorts of things. God saves you through baptism, the scriptures say. 1 Peter 3, baptism now saves you. And a Christian would never reject that. No one on this side of the spiritual life would say, well, my baptism wasn't a gift. It doesn't compute at all. It's like saying you're in the arena, but you didn't come through the door. Like That doesn't make sense. No, Christians embrace their baptism as a gift from God, and they rejoice in it, and they take comfort in it. This is why Luther said, at the beginning of every morning, we ought to make the sign of the cross and remember I'm baptized. 
And why will we do that? Well, if you were baptized in a Lutheran church, that was the first time the cross was placed over you. When you were baptized, receive the sign of the Holy Cross, both upon your forehead and upon your heart, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And so we remember, we recall that we stand in the life of God because I am baptized. And so we, we engage the body. And this is why it's a beautiful thing that I, that I get to witness. When you are standing there at the table of the Lord and you've just received God himself in the Eucharist, his true body and his true blood, you can't get any closer to God than that. He is coming all the way down to you to forgive you your sins and to take up residence in you. And they make the sign of the cross also to remember, I'm baptized. What a beautiful picture. Here I stand in the, in the life of God as, as a baptized child of God. I've been adopted as a son of God. And God has come and fed me his own son's body and blood so that I may be strengthened and nourished. Baptism's the door. Communion's over here. You've got to keep it straight as Lutherans. Baptism's the door. Communion's over here. Next week, we're going to talk about churches and te the teaching. And I'm going to bring in a Baptist, actually, next, next Sunday. So be ready. But they're going to put baptism over here. And we'll talk about that. But for now, baptism's a gift from God. It's the door into the spiritual life. And a Christian, therefore, as as simple as we can say, is one who's baptized. Thoughts? Questions? Bree? How can being a Christian Yeah, it's part of it. Over here. Being Christ-like is part of the spiritual life. But one who is Christ-like but not baptized, we would say, something's off there. We would say, still not through the door. Does that make sense? You're baptized, Bree. I am baptized. That's her. Spirit over here. I know. We're going to work on that. We are working on that. Russ? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here the whole time, and I'm, it's all simple analogies. I think I go too deep. But. <laughs> go for it. Uh, it's almost, it looks to me, you know, we still are in a life of, the, of sin, because that's where we live. We, we, we live there. And I, I guess I'm looking at it as baptism puts me in the doorway. And I, and I want to live my life facing the light. Yeah. But the darkness is still behind me. Yeah. And there are times that I've turned, and the darkness is in front of me, and I've lived the light, you know, but the light is still at my back. The light is still there. And I, th I think most of my life, I feel like I'm living there, facing the light, but looking over my shoulder at the darkness. That's right. Because it, it, you can't ever walk through the door and shut it until Christ comes again. And Christ shuts that door and eliminates the darkness. Yeah, and the former things will be remembered yeah. no longer. And I, you know, it's one of those, I guess, looking at the, the door as the analogy, you know, I can, only I can step back into the darkness yeah, you can and shut the door. Yeah. But God will still, you know, even then I think God will keep that door cracked open for you and, and draw you towards it. Church never gives up on people. So, and, you know, I look at that, you know, it's not as simple as I step through the door, I'm in God's light, and 
the, the darkness is behind me. I mean, yeah, it's, our darkness is separated now by the door. And no, that's not the, it just opens the door and, and my baptism has put me there in the doorway. Yes, that's right. Uh, this is Luther's great teaching of the Reformation. Um, one last Latin phrase for you. Simul justus et peccator. That we are saint and sinner at the same time. And so simultaneously saint and sinner. So that means that when I am Christ-like, saintly, doing the right thing that God would require me to do, and I feel like I'm standing on the mountain of God myself, I'm still a sinner. And you can never escape that, this side of Christ's return. But that also means that when I am turned to the darkness, and I'm in the lowest of lows, and I'm doing everything wrong, you're still a saint. You're still forgiven. You're still his. Christ never lets go of you. He's the one who reaches down when you're sinking, and he grabs you, and he pulls you back up. And this is the struggle of the Christian life. Saint and sinner at the same time. One there today. So next week we're going to spend one more class on teaching theology. We're going to look at uh, Luther's small catechism. And then uh, I'm going to bring in a Catholic voice and a Baptist voice too, just to get some fireworks started. And then we'll jump into the scriptures after that. <coughs> Let's end with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 